Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I'm your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you to those places where you have those mastermind meetings and aha moments that reveal to you answers to questions you may not even have known to ask. It can change your trajectory or can at least move you a little bit closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. So I come to you today from my sumptuous apartment in Las Vegas, Nevada, where I'm sitting on my purple couch here in the hottest city in America, as it's known to some people. And we are back with a returning guest. In our previous episode, we were speaking with Michael Jones of 911websiterepair.com. Michael somebody I've known for a long time, nearly 10 years, and he stopped by last time to share with us some of the latest and greatest that we need to know about the current standards for websites, mobile compliance websites. We got a little bit into cybersecurity, and we looked at also some design elements and things like that. So there are a number of points. Mike is a very giving person, and he shares so much with us, and I want to make sure he had an opportunity to share everything that he wanted to give. As you listen to Mike, you're going to see that he is truly a giver. So you can refer to episode number one for his story of his journey to where he is right now, serving from his intersection of his brilliance and passion. For part two, we're just going to dive right in. Mike Jones, welcome back. Hey, Adam. How are you? Okay. Um, I mentioned uh, last time that I was going to sort of let you at least start by leading the first dance here. So take it away. Okay. Um, so w- my goal is is to explain to people that the whole environment for websites has changed all the rules have changed and there is it's now much more complicated than anyone had ever anticipated and so i want to share some of what is needed uh adam you had a guest on a couple weeks ago who also shared a lot of the same information that i am um didn't didn't go into it as much detail um right but you know it was it was a pleasure to hear somebody else that knows this because even even um, today, I had a call, and this is basically all my calls go, is I hired a web developer. I had them do the work, and they disappeared. They didn't do the work. They took my money. I've got nothing. And then I find out that they own my website. It's on their server. They own my domain name, and and, and they spent X amount of money. It never stops. And I would love to be able to prevent that from happening to people. Right, And... Um, and so in this case, um, they had already spent $60,000 to have nothing. And oh my, my, my God. heart, my heart sunk. And so, um, 
we have um, we're not freelancers. We have a whole team, uh, regular corporate hierarchy, and one of my managers and I, she was in tears. Uh, we took her aside. We spent an hour and a half with her, figured out the whole thing, and now we have to figure out how we're going to get it done for her. But I mean, that's pretty much the way the calls go. And if you go to my website, nine one one website repair dot com, you'll see there's a video right there of of myself explaining this whole scenario. Um, one thing is, and you had mentioned this last time, was uh, I have a video called uh, Cheap Means Cheap. And a lot of, not this one person, but a lot of people just don't spend the money required in order to get a high-end website done. Right. People have to understand, Google wants high quality. They want enterprise. They don't want, you know, cheap. They want people that are going to actually put in the effort and spend the money. And to do that, they now have an artificial intelligent algorithm that produces a quality score. The person with the highest score wins and gets the highest rankings, theoretically. But then to the other extent, and I don't think we mentioned this last time, is Google is on a mission to delete 750,000 websites from its index. They only want quality. So if your website is not high quality, doesn't meet all the requirements, for a current website, they're just going to delete you or you just be buried in the listings. And I get so many people saying, I can't find my site. I can't find my site. And I take a look and it's so old and so poorly done and so low quality that they're getting that major penalty. So people need to be aware of that. Um, yeah. You know, it's, you know, it's just the way it is. Now, one thing I didn't bring up on the last call is that because Google wants quality, they want people to actually make a real website. Now, what do I mean by real? There are site builders and there are CMS systems. And the site the, the site builders are not considered a real high quality website. Right. That's why, that's, why, that's why I don't like them. Right. And I don't like them either besides their limitations. Um, can I mention one or two of whom I'm referring to? That, oh, it's perfectly fine. Uh, and I'll just say with a qualifier that if somebody's listening to this five years from now, the names and the players may change, but the concept will remain the same. Go ahead. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. Okay. So I get people calling me who have made a Wix or a Shopify or a Squarespace website. And it's great, you know, for people who are just starting out to try to figure out kind of how things work. Um, You know, it's drag and drop. Um, But those are site builders. And right out of the gate, Google disqualifies them and does not give them a high quality score. The other issue is that um, when you're using these drag and drop site builders, you still need to know all the requirements of a website. And what happens is people are so proud of themselves. They're patting themselves on the back. They made what they think is a website and they're proud of it. And then nothing happens. <laughs> um, and then I have to clean that up. Um, one other thing that people need to be aware of is that you need to own your domain name and you need to own your website. Oh my if God. You, yes. <laughs> if you, yes, you know, from your customers. Uh huh. So, so if you do one of these site builders, They'll register the domain for you. They own it, not you. 
And they'll also host your website. And they have to host a website because these site builders, Shopify or Wix or Squarespace is proprietary code that only works on their server. Yeah. So now you're paying a monthly or yearly subscription to lease your website from them. Yeah. Out of return, they're harvesting all of your customers and selling that data. Oh, that's nice. Yes. So that's how they and they need as many sites in there as they can, because remember the 90-10 rule, 90 percent of the sites fail. So, you know, the more sites they get, the more customers they can harvest and add to their lists and sell to their data marketing lists. But the biggest issue is so now you have a website started and you decide you don't want to use Squarespace, Wix or Shopify. You have to start all over from scratch. You cannot download that site or move it anywhere. It's Uh proprietary to them. And I get so many calls where people have done this approach. Now they're ready to go to the next level and they have to start over. Now we can get some data out of it. They do allow you to export some of the data, but not all of it. And so this, this is a big crushing factor for uh, people who get involved in this. Um, So at that point, you know, we have to, what we call ripping a website. We have to try to try to get everything that they have basically start over. Now, once that happens, then all of a sudden they start seeing their Google indexing improve. One of the issues with these site builders is they don't have something called an HT access file or a robot talk text. These two files are like the traffic cop. The spiders from the search engines come in to crawl the website, and those two files give the um, give the spiders instructions on what they can call what they can crawl. Go here, go there, turn right, turn left, whatever it is. Yeah. Without those files, there's no crawling. So they tell you in in the plan that they will index you on Google. Your domain name will be indexed on Google. You'll always be found for your domain name. No matter what kind of site you made, unless you really do something bad, you will always be found for your domain name. But the inner pages, and I actually just had a call, just got off a call with someone, I was explaining this to them, is you're not branded. No one knows who you are. You're not Coca-Cola. You're not General Motors, you know. Um, So no one's looking for you but they may be looking for your service or your product. So I have a site that has a thousand products on it and none of them were showing up in the search engines they were doing Shopify. Right. So I explained to them that each one of these product detail pages is the landing page that gets you indexed in Google. Someone's looking for red rubber ball XYZ7. They put that in Google and your landing page comes up. Then they find out who you are and what your website is. But they're looking for a product or a service first, not looking for your company. You're not branded. And so this one company, I did, I took them out of Shopify. We did it the right way, had all the right permissions for um, encoding for search engines, and they were amazed. 
all of a sudden they're getting calls. Their products are showing up in the search engines. They're saturating the search engines with these products and people are finding them. So I understand and, you know, it's good to play with um, Shopify and these other sites. Um, but if they'll only index your homepage, other than that, it's going to be a real struggle for you um, because it just will just won't match the quality score. And if you can't get crawled, now what? So um, I wanted to bring that up because if you look at the stats for uh, website construction usage, you know, what people use, you will see uh, Shopify, WordPress, uh, Squarespace, uh, I'm sorry, Shopify, Wix, Squarespace, um, the site builders at the top of the usage that they perform poorly. Yeah. It's just the fact that people want to do it themselves. And then also not to be disparaging, disparaging or condescending to anybody, but you need to know the elements of a website. You need to know what is needed. Um, the do-it-yourself thing is great, but how how are you, you can't possibly learn all the different factors that are required for a website. Like, you know, I, I told Adam last time, I actually have a white paper that's available for everybody if you go to my site, 911websiterepair.com. I have that available for everybody. 225 and that was off the top of my head just what you need for a website and there's and this is what i explained to people is there's no way that you're going to get that on a site builder and there's no way that you're going to learn this it's too late <laughs> you know and if i were to stop for three months i'd be totally lost because it's a never-changing environment yeah so you know and and so that is why you really want to hire a good competent company now, the next issue is, and I'm just trying to cover some points that will prevent some of the pratfalls that people go through, is you want a company that has all of this knowledge. And, and you also want something generally more than someone who is a graphic artist. Right. Um, this, this big project that we did, big platform, you know, the the hired a graphic artist um who was recommended by the um you know by the uh the business the, the local uh county business association, which uh-huh. sorry, those are clicks. <laughs> Doesn't mean right. that yeah, you're great. It's a click. Um I deal with that where I live and I don't care. But <laughs> anyways, um so the person was recommended and a lot of them just put in plugins. But then when you need to integrate all of this stuff, you need a developer and you need someone who can think on an enterprise level. And I just felt so bad for this person that, the, you know, that's the way it went. They just couldn't do it. And, you know, and and here's the funny thing. So I did one about three months for this lady. Um Really, really nice lady, really nice website, uh, healthcare products, uh, uh-huh. emu oil. And so what happened is, you know, I get hyperverbal and I get excited and I'm telling the customer all this stuff about what they need to know. 
And so I'm like, okay, so we finished the site. You've made it through your warranty period. You know, please give me a report. Tell me what we did. Tell me what we did wrong. I want to hear it. You know, we thought you were wonderful. And the lady goes, well, if I had to make one comment, I would say you're a little bit anal. <laughs> and I uh -huh. said, thank you. Thank you. Because that's what you want. Because someone like that is going to make sure all of the details are covered. They're going to dig and give you what you need. And the person that doesn't dig is not going to give you what you need or know how to put it all together. My opinion. So yeah. what do you think of that, Adam? Wow, that is a lot to, to unpack. But uh, I will tell you a few things. This kind of goes back to the beginning of your very detailed share there, which just took up a third of the interview so thank you for making my job easy first off while making this so awesome for our listeners uh you know the way the best way i know how to do this is to tell a story of a client that i had oh around 2007 2008 2009 and then they moved on now when they came to us in 2007 this is back when i was in web development myself so we're going back a ways uh you know we set them up with the hosting and everything they needed and as late as like 2013, 2014, I would still occasionally get these emails from her op from her uh, OBM, uh, her you know, operations business manager um, or online business manager, asking for help with things like email addresses and and site down issues and stuff like that. And it finally occurred to me to ask her are you aware that we don't host your site do you control this yourself she had actually not heard of the concept that there were web development companies that didn't hold their clients on their own servers so that they could charge them a maintenance a maintenance retainer and then the moment the client wants to stop paying they have three days before they're kicked off the server to move their site somewhere else that's how prevalent that is or at least was back in the day and as far as uh, and as far as any offer that says uh, we'll include a free domain too. First question is who owns that domain? If it ain't you, don't take the offer. Because I almost uh, lost a, uh, I, I almost lost a very important domain that way. Because I started when I first started, I didn't know anything. I did that. Now beyond this, uh, you know, I agree with you that if you're leasing somebody else's space and you pull the plug, uh, I like to tell people that uh, whenever I get referred to a ClickFunnels link, the thing I see most often is the redirect to the front page of ClickFunnels.com that says that this site is no longer active. But I, as I keep pointing out to people, my optimized press pages that are hosted on uh, that are that are hosted on uh, on my hosting that I built myself and my team built and that we own are there. And they won't go away unless I delete them. Absolutely. Yep. You're right. And that, you know, again, that's another pratfall of this whole, whole, um, business, you know, um, your honest people will make sure that you own everything and they're not going to hook you into an ongoing plan. Right. You know, it's yours. And when you're done, you can either continue with us or you can move on. I mean, it's up to you. But anyone that is going to commit you to something ongoing or or control your domain or your website uh, or your hosting for you, run. Those, those days are over. Um, 
you know, you're you're not leasing. Um yeah, so that's that's something um something really watch out for. And again, my phone calls, every single one, everything and I understand from the developer's point of view, and we covered this last time, is that you know, they're trying to, you know, you have recurring revenue. You know, that's fine if the customer agrees with it, but you can't lock them in. You you can't. Right. That's not ethical. And, you know, both Adam and I want to be ethical. Um, okay, so let's see. Um, another thing that I wanted to cover is some terminology. Is that okay, Adam? Please. Okay. App, 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 app. Uh-huh. People don't know what that means. They're talking to me about an app, an app. Okay, when you have a website, there's no apps. There's components, there's plugins, there's modules, but there's no apps. An app is a application that you install on your mobile phone or your iPad. Those yeah. are apps. And they're in they're each app is usually independent to a specific function. So I get people saying app, app, app. I have to clarify and explain to them so that we're on the same page because the difference between working on a website and building an app could be, you know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars. Apps are still not cheap. If you really want a good app, it's gonna cost you. So there's a lot of confusion over that and people try to sound like they know what they're talking about and they keep using the word app. And then I have to discern what are you talking about? Yeah. So I wanted to bring that up. Um, if you don't know the terminology, don't, don't try to use terminology because I've also seen that happen where people thought they were getting something that they didn't get. Which brings me to Gen Xers. This is kind of an arbitrary number, but people over 40 use computers. They use laptops. They use PCs. They use Macs. Okay. And those show websites. Now, the people under 40 use their mobile phone. They only know apps. That's a lot of words coming from. And so I would get people over 40 and we're doing, we're checking website work. We're checking it on PCs, Macs. They're looking, you know, through a browser. They're looking on a, on a monitor. The people under are just looking at their phone. So if I ask them to give me three or four examples of websites that you like, I'm getting apps. I'm not getting websites. Yeah, And then I have to go through. But the difficulty of that comes from the, the difficulty that comes from that is that the people under 40, these gen people, think that people only use mobile devices, which still isn't true. It's it's barely 60% does a mobile device over a PC. Um so you know, the personal reference of the customer has to be taken into consideration. And if you're building a website that has to be done from a laptop or a PC, you know, a regular computer type device and not from a mobile device, 
And I caught myself in that situation about 10 months ago. Yeah. Until I realized what was going on. And yes, is the trend going more towards mobile, but it'll never be mobile only. Um, you know, and older people are not on their phones 24 hours a day. Yes, some of them are. Yes, they are. But, you know, they're still using their computers. But the kids, they're not using computers. They're using their mobile phones. So that can cause a lot of discrepancy between what a client and a web developer are talking about. Well, you know, I, uh, I myself, I can't stand to, uh, <laughs> you know, thumbs, you know, through a long conversation or anything on my smartphone. And I'm one of those people where, uh, with my smartphone, as far as the phone part of it, I usually like, if I ever get an incoming call, unless I'm expecting the call, like it's scheduled, I'm usually waiting for it to stop ringing so that I can get back to whatever I was doing, if I even have the phone near me. And my most likely response to the incoming call is going to be, if, I, if I'm aware that they're calling from a mobile number, I'm going to text them back and say, saw you called, what's up? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, so yeah. this actually leads to a question that I have is, you know, you mentioned last time the importance of having a phone number on your website, uh, not only from a customer service perspective, but also in terms of raising the value of the website overall, if your company is a type that does phone customer service. Now, what I'm seeing is, and I'm going to articulate this the best I can, and the fact that this is going to be a little bit scattershot, illustrates the fact this is a little bit scattershot, that there are, depending on the company, uh, what they offer, what type of audience they deal with, et cetera, they may have different ways, means of communicating. Uh, some companies will want to work, you know, will want to take phone calls between the hours of nine to five, Monday through Friday in their local time zone, or they may have evening hours, or they may be a 24 hour, uh, but in the evenings and weekends, it goes to a call center. And I'm seeing more and more go to live chat. And I'm seeing some of these live chats become artificially intelligently driven. And when it comes to AI, sometimes it doesn't give you the answers you're looking for. And then there's me. If I'm contacting a company because I need support, that means I've probably already tried everything in their FAQs and anything that that bot is going to tell me. I'm at the point where I need to interact with a human being. So overall, I guess my question is, is what do you see are the best practices? And I know there's not one right answer for this necessarily in terms of having a user-friendly experience where the person visiting the website knows they'll be taken care of as a customer and how they interact with technical support, customer support, sales, billing, et cetera. All right. So here's what I tell my customers. I go to a website, you go to a, uh, either on your phone or a tablet, a tablet or um, on a computer. And um, you're going to have a little pop-up that, you know, for the chat utility. Um, the problem is if you're not there, the customer is going to be unhappy and leave. Uh -huh. If if you're not there and it says leave a message, we'll get you know we'll get it by email and we'll get back to you. That's not going to please the customer. Those chat no. utilities are great as you know if you're actually there, then then they're good. Now then then you have the artificial intelligence that tries to narrow all the questions down. I hate that. I mean, I I can talk uh -huh. you know from my personal experience. 
I, as a user, I don't like that. I don't want that. So then we have um, uh, the phone number. Well, how many phone calls can you take a day? You know, uh-huh. um, email, you shouldn't put email on a website because that's a Google penalty because you get spammed so bad. So they're trying to get people to stop doing that. Right. Having an actual ticket system is preferable. And you put on that ticket system, someone will respond within six hours or eight hours or whatever it is. That works. A two-way ticket system works. Um, texting on the phone. If I have 85 clients on my work board and all of them are trying to communicate, I could get 30 texts from each one of those a day. And they're sending me information that now I need to get to my staff. That's not manageable. It's just not manageable. So the communication is 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 tough. Um, you know, so at the, you know, at providing FAQs, I work with a lot of different hosting companies and third-party services, and I ask a question and I get an FAQ. I don't have time to spend four hours researching an issue which somebody on the staff could tell me in two minutes. Um, so that, I mean, it is a, a really good question and it is a dilemma for everybody. I mean, I had to call my bank this morning. Um, I was probably on the phone for 40 minutes before I got anybody and all the menu systems. Um, just um, all the menu systems just didn't take me where I needed to be. Yeah. You know, so um, it, I mean, it really is a dilemma. Um, email is okay. You know, contact forms. So what we do is we put a contact form. They can ask their question on the form. It goes both to email, but it's also stored in the database in the back end of the website. So now Instead of relying on email, you're just going to go through all the form submissions in the back end of the website. You have a database and then you can decide what you're going to do with all of them from there. Yeah. So so that's that's a good thing to do. Um, but um, yeah, it's that is, it's an absolute dilemma dilemma. How do you do this communication? And more important than that, as part of this quality score, there are trust factors. And that communication and not hiding from your customers and re- being able to respond to your customers is part of that trust factor. Now, I had a client. Um, they were a nationally syndicated talk radio show. I can't say who they were. Uh-huh. And they were selling products on on uh, their website and, you know, via their show. So, I mean, they're, but in one year, they did $147 worth of sales. So I set them up, I got everything working, and I got them up to the first year I managed it, they were about 1.3 million. Yeah. Okay, so, but here's what I had to do. Number one, they were answering all the phone calls themselves. They could only take about 20 a day, and that was pushing it, okay? I moved them to a call center and found out they were getting 420 calls a day. Now they were scalable and able to do that. And what we did was we provided an FAQ. It is, the, but then, you know, people complain, but now I got to pay for a call center. Look, it's the cost of doing business. So you either do the call center and pay them their really minuscule fee 
you know, if somebody if somebody had a question they couldn't answer, they would email the manager, the manager would answer the question, and the next day the call center would call the customer back with the answer. Then it went into the FAQ book. And that's how you build up your customer support. It's part of doing business, but you generated $1.3 million and it cost you, you know, maybe, I don't know, 60,000 over the course of a year to use that service. I mean, you got to, it's the way you look at it. And a lot of people just look at, but it costs, it costs, it costs, but you're not going to make the money without it. Yeah. You know, so if you're going to be a successful business, you need to have this scalability. Um, you know, and these companies that I've worked with will help you um with with that and and help you with the budget and it's usually scalable so you only pay for what you use. So does that kind of answer the question? Oh, yes, it certainly does. So that's a question I had for you and uh, you know, and one thing I do want to you know, mention just, I know this is a, a an abrupt shift, but this is the reason for people to go back and listen to episode number one is when we were speaking last time about indexing and how Google indexes the mobile layout version of a site. I, I specifically urge people to go back and listen to that. But now what I want to do is, uh, Michael, refresh my memory. And I, I don't think we did uh, cover this last time. And I don't know if we need the whole next 24 minutes for it, but I want to make sure we cover it. Uh, the idea of hosting cheap versus good hosting. And even if we did cover it last time, we should probably touch on it again in case somebody doesn't go to episode number one, because this uh, can make or break your business. It certainly can. Uh, we did cover that before. So um, I can give a, give a good example of this. Yeah, I love stories. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, this, this gentleman, uh, does a wedding DJ in, uh, Washington, DC, Delaware, Maryland, and Northern Virginia. So he's dealing with government officials and families and really, mm-hmm. you know, the elite. Um, right. so his website had to work, work fast. He's got a beautiful high-end website. He was hosted at GoDaddy, which was what? three ninety five a month or something. Yeah. Um, and so he's there and he didn't want to move. He's getting his cheap hosting. He's happy with that. But I'm like, what What are you happy with? The, the site doesn't load. It takes 30, 40 a minute to load. Yeah. And so we did everything we could. On my server, the site's loading right up. Put the same site on his server and his account, not loading. So we did some digging and found out that wow. GoDaddy was throttling the bandwidth, the throughput down to one meg. So they're advertising, you know, unlimited bandwidth, but they had a way to to throttle it and limit it. So the website just wasn't loading. We went to a much better hosting company. He actually went from cloud to a, a C panel, WHM C panel. Oh yeah. We changed nothing. We just put him on a better uh hosting solution. I think it was costing him now fifty dollars a month, but the website loads in two seconds or less. Yeah, well, so now he's not losing anybody. That that is huge. Yeah, and when you have the WHM in control of things like the PHP version, the PHP any, uh, which are which are geeks among our listeners will talk about. Yeah, it's coming back to me now that we discuss this, and you know, and I have two quick examples too coming from the apps and plugins side. So 
uh, is, you know, I prefer WordPress. I know you have, uh, I, I believe you prefer Joomla and that's perfectly fine because there's room for everybody. But here's what we find with WordPress. And this is a story I have. Uh, a yeah, a client of mine going back, I think this is like 2000, what, 12? I don't know. But, uh, but the story I think plays out all the time. Well, he was a member of his mastermind and I guess another member of the mastermind uh, created some plugin for WordPress that was supposed to do something. So my client actually being pretty technically proficient, logged into his WordPress, uploaded the plugin, installed it, configured it, what have you. And next thing you know, his site was now loading. It was taking about, in some cases, according to load tests we ran when he came to us for help, well over a minute. Whereas before that, that page loaded in about a second and a half max. So he asked me, well, can you guys do something and take a look at this? So, you know, we ran a load test. I tested it with and without that plugin activated. I looked for plugin conflicts. Uh, that didn't solve the issue. Then I went and looked for documentation on the plugin. And I found out the only thing really available on the internet about the plugin were a bunch of reviews that were planted by my client's mastermind buddy, but no real tech support. And when I went to the plugins website, going back to our earlier conversation, there was no tech support. It basically just said, go to the, uh, you know, go to the WordPress repository and download the plugin is what it said. So uh, I told the client that uh, the plugin was the issue and we had deactivated it. And he said, come on, man, he's my mastermind buddy. And I promised him I'd try the plugin. And I said, Tell him you tried it and it effed up your website and he can fix it. So this goes back to when people uh, get ideas that they need things on their websites that somehow without installing this one plugin, this one app, this one pack or what have you, that they're not really in business if they don't do it. They're missing out on some golden opportunity. And I'm here to tell you, I've been working with WordPress since it became uh, an actual uh, CMS which goes back about six versions ago or six generations ago. And I've never seen a plugin that a website could truly do without. Well, okay. So let's, you triggered something in my mind. Okay. Uh -huh. So these plugins, okay. Extensible CMS systems, definitely the way to go. You want yeah. a function, you plug something in, use that either the way it was designed or, use as a foundation to modify to get to what a customer wants for functionality. Right. right. But here's the problem. You these plugins for WordPress or components for uh, Joomla have to be well vetted and they uh -huh. have to meet the infrastructure for that um, CMS, for instance, Joomla is a was a, a, an MCV, uh -huh. um, you know, uh, environment. So, a lot of these plugins could be very poorly made, and we'll actually get WordPress websites, um, or we'll get, and even Joomla, where somebody's gotten a template from ThemeForest or some community sourced uh, template or theme provider, and in reality. A high school kid could make a theme for their graduation class, their IT senior class project. Yeah. And then they're very proud of themselves. So they go and they put it out there in the community sourced um, provider of themes or plugins. 
And now they're trying to sell it. And now they think that they are a programmer. It then comes to us. Can you fix this? It's not working. And we just find the whole thing is just so poorly coded that we, you know, either have to scratch it or remove it completely, every trace of it, even the database tables, and then find a comparable plugin or component or theme or template and build it from scratch if not when it's not available. So the vetting process. Now, Joomla has a very good one because if it doesn't pass the vetting or uh-huh. if there's complaints, they take it right out of the extensions directory until it's fixed. WordPress, although there is a vetting process, it isn't as strict and I'm finding a lot of just really poorly made plugins. And there's too many. Um, one thing, Joomla, uh, WordPress, it takes 10 plugins to do what one Joomla component will do. Yeah, so you now, mentioned that last time. Yeah. Yeah. So now you're dealing with multiple providers of plugins to make one functionality work. Um, you know, so yeah, all these things have to be taken into consideration. Um, yeah, it's it's the quality of the coding of the plugin and not everybody is good. It's as simple as that. Yeah, uh, and you have to look at that. Like, for example, with all of our uh, with all of our uh, Launcher Podcast Fast clients and projects, we use the Avada theme, A V A D A. There's a few reasons. Uh, I know it. that we that we yeah you know so you, so you're aware that about the layout section where you can not quite literally but pretty close to actually build several different complete designs within one install. Uh, that's one thing, I and mean, that's really helpful when it comes to bifurcating between different types of episodes, different categories of episodes, different seasons, and assigning different sponsors and advertisers to different episodes. Uh, but what's really great about it, above all else, is the fact that it is supported by an actual company. It's not some fly-by-night that, as you said, somebody did in their high school programming class. Uh, it or is college. backed by an Act yeah, our college, yeah. It's there. There's an actual company there that produced the theme that has its own dedicated support and programmers that keep the thing up and running. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's a good point. Um, there's a lot of one-offs out there. There's a lot of people that will make a template theme component module plugin, and they only have one or two offerings. They're not an actual company that is is you know building multiple components and plugins or what yeah. themes and templates. So you always want to find one that is an actual development company versus just finding a, one, a person who has one plugin. I'm not saying it's not going to be good, but just as a general rule, you want to get from actual companies. So in our case, even with WordPress, um, Joomla, there are actual development companies that are trusted, and that's where you get your 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 plugins and your and your themes. Um, and what I'll do is I actually maintain a developer's license for the most used ones, so that I can uh, provide those for the client. Right. Um, you know, and it also helps to reduce their cost, and it benefits me because I can you know I can give you a, a free template. Um, so. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much where that's at. Um, so, um, you know, you just want to use, you know, well-tested, well-tried out and, and you can't even go by reviews. Cause again, you get clicks, 
you know? Yeah. And there's always, and when you're reading reviews, I learned this very early on, uh, something will get a good review and then it'll have bad reviews. But what really happens in many cases is that the plugin is fine. The person installing the plugin doesn't know what they're doing and they don't get it. And they're having a problem, not because the plugin isn't good. They're having a problem because they don't know what they're doing. They don't have the skill. The other thing, because we, we sell about 25 different components for Joomla. Uh-huh. And what we found from our customer support is people, websites are all messed up. We log in. There's error messages everywhere. And they're trying to add a plugin that is not compatible it's not even of the same version or their websites have such errors that the plugin can't plug in and you have to actually fix the website before you can add the plugins. I've had been through that so many times. It's like my plugin works if your website doesn't have all these errors and then they'll come back and say, well, you can fix the errors. No, no, I, I can't fix your errors. If you want to pay me, I can fix your errors, but no. That's not part of buying a plugin or a theme or a template or a component. You know, you're just expected that your website is works and is configured. And I'd see blatant error messages in the back end. Just blatant. Um, you know, so that's that's something to consider. Um, you know, and these reviews, I mean, if the if you know a lot of these people having problems, it's their website that is causing the problem, not the plugin. Does that make make sense or answer any of your makes makes dollars and cents and pretty much literally the way you describe it. So uh, one thing that is on your list here that I really wanted to make sure we had a chance to cover is when it comes to images for websites. Uh, I mean, there are various things we need to think about, like sizing, uh, dynamic resizing. And if you could tell me, like, what the heck this WebP thing is, because I'll, I'll just tell you, when I see WebP, that's when I've right-clicked on an image to open it in a new browser tab because I want to download it, and WebP blocks me from doing it. And it's like, oh, aren't you so cute? I'll just use the screenshot tool that came with the browser. Ah, you didn't stop me. But I know that there's a lot more to WebP than that, and we're seeing more and more of it. So tell us about those things because we all know that images have a lot to do with search engine optimization, search engine marketing. In fact, with our uh, Launch Your Podcast Fast clients, the formula for the website calls for the site's images to enter Google Images and drive more links back to the site. What was that last part you just said? I just said with our with our with our process with the launch your podcast fast uh, with our clients, we actually have you know we we actually work with images on a website in such a way where it's designed to get them spidered into Google Images. So I want to hear your best practices for how to use the images uh, for on a website for uh, search engine marketing optimization and what you have to say about sizing and this WebP thing. I know that's a kind of a loaded question, but I want to give you something to turn loose with. Yeah, it's a lot. Okay, let's talk about WebP. Um, Google part of the quality score is your is your speed. Uh-huh. So they came up with a new image format that improves the speed of the crawling of the images for the quality score. 
Uh-huh. So if you go to PageSpeed Insights or Core Web Values or GT Metrics, you're always going to see there's one of the uh, things that you need to fix to raise your score or your grade is this this image format. And it says you use uh, Gen X um, or Next Gen Image Formats. Uh-huh. So you have you always had a uh, ping and JPEG images that you used on a website. So what they've done is they've come up with a WebP format. So it's actually a brand new third format. Now it improves the indexing and the speed of the images loading. It was designed for the Chrome browser, which is built, you know, by Google. Google, yeah. So now there are plugins out there that will convert your JPEGs and your pings on the fly to a WebP format. It'll usually just dump it in another folder. Then when you open the website in Google, theoretically, it will use the WebP images and help the site load faster. When you open the website in a non-Google browser, then it's going to pull the JPEG or the ping. Uh-huh. So it's 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 for speed, it's for optimization. Now that said, the reason that you're you know you're you're getting that issue when you're using WebP, it's not that they're trying to block you. It's just a format that isn't recognized by whatever device you're using. So there right. are free web WebP converters. But when if you're talking a CMS system, almost all of them now have a plugin or a component that will convert the images for you. Now that has nothing to do with the image sizing. So what generally happens with the image sizing, um, there are, I know there's something in uh, WordPress that will resize your images on the fly. Uh huh. But it has to maintain the aspect ratio. Right. So ju- just like you have a picture in a frame, a nine by 10, a three by five, whatever it is, needs to maintain that aspect ratio. So the the conversion program needs to know what that is. So the next issue is spacing and alignment on a phone uh, or a uh, computer for the website. Right is managed by the size, the asset ratio of the image in that spot and the amount of text and characters surrounding it. So all of them have to be the same size and the same aspect ratio so that they don't skew and so everything aligns correctly. Uh-huh. That's one thing that that you know you you'll notice and see with a professional site is all the images, correct aspect ratio and they all line correctly with the text so everything lines up right that's very important especially when you have the web version converts the layout to the mobile version yeah so to that end there i have and i know people are doing this on wordpress but i'm still seeing skewed images the images have to be sized before they're uploaded now One other aspect of images that people just don't get it. Images have a size and images have a weight. And this is taken in consideration into your speed optimization and your quality score. 
And if you look at your reports for core web values or GT metrics or page speed insights, it, it will show this. So an image could be um, an eight by 10 or a 500 by 500 pixel image, but its weight could be, you know, uh, 15 KB or 15 megs or 15 gigs, depending on what the resolution of that image is. Oh my God, yes. So you have to make sure, you know, so you resize the image, but the image is still two gigs. It needs to uh -huh. be someplace around, you know, 100 KB or, or less or whatever the, the spec is. Got to get, get it way down. Yes. So, you know, and as you do that, as you, you, you know, it's going to affect the DPI, which is dots per square per inch, um, you know, and you usually want to be around 72. But if you want high res, you could do 300. Um, but these converters are going to bring down that resolution, that DPI. So now the image may not skew, but it's going to pixelate because it's lost its its quality. So, and this is, I mean, everybody wants this automated. I go through this with everybody. You have to size your images. Now there are third-party mm -hmm. online programs that will do it. You pay a subscription and you just upload your images. You know, all the ones, all the portrait ones in a batch, then all the landscape ones in a batch. And then you upload those, but you have to make sure they're going in the right spots in your template so that they match the alignment. If the template right. is set up for a 500 by 500 or a 1000 by 1000, you need to use an image of those proportions. If you try to put an image um, that is 800 by 1200 into a spot for 500 by 500, it's going to skew. And of course, you'd have to probably see this to totally get it. This is one of the biggest problems, you know, and people want to manage their sites. So, you know, if they can get past this image resizing, the WebP is fine because that can happen on the fly. Yeah. Um, but the image resizing is so important. And if you don't do it, it's not going to be professional. Things need to align. And again, things align by character count. And they align by uh, image size, profile, or landscape aspect ratio. That does that clear that up? Oh yeah, make that makes a lot lot of sense. And I and I do see websites uh, that have just inordinately large images on it. In fact, I uh, you know I worked with a client. Uh, I wasn't even involved with their website. I was there um, as a consultant, and I f I found out that their web developer was using feature images for blog posts that were seven megs. Yes. Yes. And then they complained the website's slow or they got a bad score. And yep. even and even worse, they used cheap hosting, which kept giving them problems. <laughs> and so they moved the website to good hosting. Now, you know as well as I do that if you want to do the manual use your FTP to download everything to your hard drive and then use FTP to upload everything to the hard drive on the next on the next hosting, that if that's taking you more than like 20 minutes, you have a really bad internet connection or the site's way too big. It took right. them it took them three days to download the files from the old hosting, 
and get up on a new hosting because of the size of those damn images. Even running Isn't it something? Even running Smush and other applications to try and jam those file sizes down didn't do nearly enough. And then and 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 the best part is is their web developer uh claimed that Google likes seven meg images on feature posts. Like, um really? I no. What? No. I, I I myself am aware of the hundred kilobyte benchmark. I know that's sometimes very difficult to achieve depending on the quality, particularly when it comes to hero images. But there are so many apps and so many softwares that can get you pretty dang close. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. You know, and um I mean so many times I've had to hire a graphic artist to just resize all of this stuff in batches uh -huh. just so that we can move a website or get them to load because there's so many images that you can't do them all manually, but then going forward you do that. And I don't think people realize that, you know, when you're a reseller on a website, let's take Amazon for example, some of these others, um, they are actually going in and, and you know, checking your listing and your images to make sure that they are meeting the correct format. Uh -huh. um, you know, um, it's 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 like the biggest bane of the whole environment right now. And, you know, and, but I can't get people to understand that images have a weight. They have a size and they yeah. have a weight like a person has a size. They're six and foot a two. And they have a weight, 390 pounds, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and the guy that weighs 395 pounds isn't going to fit through the doorway, you know? So, um, yeah. So, I mean, that's just so important. We work through that with people and I, I have people that can work on that as, as a batch as you probably do too. Right. But it is so important, these image sizes. And again, people want to do it themselves, but there's no way that a do-it-yourselfer could have all these skills. This is one of the things that makes websites complicated. Yeah. I you got know, Especially you. on that mobile device. It has to load. You can't have those big images, you know, and that's what, I, you know, I get people... They're looking at their website on their phone, you know, and they're saying it's not loading. It's not loading. It's not loading. And I'm like, how many bars do you have? I have one bar. <laughs> well, go to where you have five bars. Yeah. You, know, you don't have enough bandwidth where you are. That's why it's so important. Um, right, right, so. right. Yeah. Smaller images, um, plugins or apps or what have, whatever you want to call it, depending on your platform that don't drag down to low speed, load speed. This is all critical to ensuring the website loads fast because you know i've seen studies on this if uh and, and some of them hold that if that website that somebody visits doesn't at least load enough so that you can take the actions that it wants you to take within one second that visitor is gone mm -hmm. yep Absolutely. I know I, and, I, I know I know my threshold of tolerance is usually about five seconds and if i really want to go there i might click refresh one time just to see if maybe the first time it loaded, it just kind of misfired, but a second one pulls it through. And that can happen. I mean, there's so many mitigating factors. That's why, that's why, that's why if I really want to be there, I'll, I'll hit review. I'll hit reload one time just to see if maybe the caching got interrupted or maybe the internet got interrupted in a way I didn't see. Um, and if it pulls through the second time, that's fine. But if I feel like I've clicked refresh twice, three times and, uh, 
once again, whatever I was hoping for that website to solve for me is again up for grabs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, there's just so much to it, you know, and it eats so much time. And then dealing, you know, trying to explain it to the customer who wants to do it themselves and then dealing with the hosting companies. I mean, uh -huh. we can spend hours on the phone with the hosting companies. Oh, yeah. You know, I can call seven times before I find someone that knows what the heck I'm talking about. But in the meantime, I've eaten up 10 or 12 hours of sitting on hold. Whereas a good hosting company, you're not going to run into that. They'll just do whatever you need. They'll make sure everything's working. Um, but And I just went through that with a hosting company for the last eight days. No one understood yeah. what I was talking about. They're talking uh -huh. me down. They're blaming me. And I'm telling them, look, website worked on my account just fine. What's the difference? It doesn't work on their account. It's the same account. It's the same level. And um, and then they would come back and argue with me. Well, that's broken. You don't have this and you need that plug. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It was loading yesterday. Uh -huh. OK. <laughs> and so and so finally, um, I mean, I've been calling for days. I finally got somebody on the phone at one o'clock this morning when it was slow, because then, then I didn't get put on hold and put in the queue. Someone actually answered. And uh -huh. I actually knew them from previous calls. And so they listened to me and they're like, got it. I know exactly. I'll tell everybody else what's going on. Uh -huh. And although it's not fixed, I can see that they're working on it. Um, right. Because that's the other thing in this game is you're working with third party companies and their initial reaction with to everything. It's going to be it's your website. You built the website wrong. It's your website. It's your website. Well, I have a server and I have hosting accounts similar to this and it's working just fine. And the client signed off that it was working just fine. We now put it on your server and it doesn't work. Right. So the problem is the server because the environment is the same. And I'm actually doing that right now. I have someone with an issue. And so the time that we spend with these hosting companies, but again, the better hosting solution and the better the company the better this support is going to be um i know you're probably a big fan of managed uh wordpress um for us i manage word it depends on how you define it i prefer the kind of wordpress where you get hosting and you manually upload from wordpress.org i don't like the thing where you push the button yeah yeah and um, but manage WordPress locks everything down, which doesn't make it secure. But just try working on the site or getting at the database. That's what or, I, that, that's what I mean. That's why I don't like manage because I like the access to the database. You know, how many times I've had to go into the database just because somebody forgot their password and had to go to the users table to reset the password because there's because the email address it was also associated with it was either um, non-existent or typed wrong. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> All the time that happens. I had that uh -huh. yesterday. Yes, typos, you know. Just, um, yeah, I mean, so you, I mean, you've been in this business as long as I have. So we're both yeah. running into the same thing. And we try to explain to the customer, 
you know, what is going on from our perspective? Or we're trying uh -huh. to explain to a third party provider what is going on from our perspective. And they have their perspective in their mind, right. which doesn't isn't necessarily based on the on reality ours. of what's really going on. Yeah. You know, but it's this calling these third party providers um, over and over and over again until you get somebody that knows what you're talking about or they're sending us an FAQ. We're calling support because we don't have time for FAQs. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that's why we pay you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, always... I know. I know. Yeah. You and I are basically out of time here, but I just wanted to point out one thing. Uh, like I remember this is back in 2008. Client of mine was doing a product launch that uh, when he opened the doors, people came running and uh, he was on a hosting and, uh, and, and, and the setting that allows like so many users to be on a web page at a time was getting exceeded, which was shutting down the sales letter on that website. And yes. so I and so I contacted tech support and they they said, oh yeah, we well, need to adjust your your max users. It's like, okay, can you do that for me? I said, well, we have a we have an uh, tutorial based and and what you'll need to do is download Putty and do a secure. It's like, I'm not doing. That. I need the site to work now. If you want to give <laughs> if you if you want to give me a tutorial, so in the future I can do this myself. That's fine. In fact, I would like that so that next time this happens, I can just go in there, boost the number, and we're good to go. But we have people with credit cards in their hands ready to buy who are being denied. Right. Yeah. Right. We don't have time to debate with you about um, how to use Putty, which is a, which is a, a software for FTP or was – and uh, and go through tutorials and support tickets and all that. Just log in and change the damn number. I, I know we got to go, but just one thing I'm looking at now, because I'm going through the same thing with the hosting company, Yeah, is uh, server 500 resources ex exceeded. I have the resource report. I'm at 20% of disk space. I'm at 15% of physical memory. Uh -huh. I'm only at 2% of the disk use. My CPU is zero. My bandwidth is only <laughs> at 1%. So why are my resources exhausted? That's a server 500 is hosting, hosting, not website, hosting. Right. Yeah. And yeah. they come back and they said, no, I got to fix it. I'm like, it's your server, server 500 error, hosting. Uh -huh. <laughs> like yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 And I, and I, and I had one where, um, they uh, they uh, told me that the that the disk space was almost used up. So uh, they ran a report on like files that were oversized, and it turned out that a website that had been on their servers for almost ten years uh, had like a nine point gig error log. <laughs> and uh, yes, and uh, and and at that point they 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 wanted to sell me more. They wanted to sell me, uh, or rather, you know, my clients more file space. I said, well, getting rid of that. 9.5 gig file is going to solve all the problems. Just delete but, it, start a blank one. But if there's something out of control and growing and using up your memory or your disk space or your CPU, yeah. it's just going to fill up again. Right. So adding more disk space, whether you delete the, the overage or not, it's just all going to fill up again. And I go through the same thing. Uh-huh. So 
So, you know, and I was just thinking about this call because we were kind of like stream of consciousness here and doing our rants. But maybe that is something that people can learn from to to hear our emotion and what we're dealing with, to hear the situations and the different environments and and the issues with third party providers, which you have to use and to hear our rant about that. I'm hoping that somebody can gain from that. I hope so, too. I hope so, too. So, yep, we are definitely at the top here. So once again, I want to make sure that people, um, you know, have the resource. Uh, what you what you want to do here is you want to go to uh, you want to go to Michael's website, which is uh, 911websiterepair.com. And when right. you get there, you're going to find a gift. It's uh, 225 tips that every website owner should know about Google. We, between these two conversations with Mike, I think we've spoken about uh, maybe 15 or 20 of them. So know that he said earlier, he, there was these were 225 just off the top of his head. This is a repository and a compendium. Go get it. www.911websiterepair.com. And with that, Mike Jones, Michael Jones, thank you so much for being with us today. Once again, it's been an honor. Believe me in education. We'll probably have to have it back again in a couple of years once <laughs> things evolve. A couple of years. I like the way you put that off. <laughs> All right. Okay, that's fine. All right. Thank you, Adam. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.